This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawke's Bay, a community access media station. Thank you to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. This is Jeremy Roberts on behalf of Hawke's Bay Poetry Live, a program broadcast weekly on Wednesdays at 2pm. You can also go to the Radio Hawke's Bay website and click play under programs uh, or even download a podcast. Um, My guest today is Tim Saunders, the poet, the writer. You may have heard of him already. Tim Saunders is a fifth-generation farmer, tending 290 hectares with his partner Catherine, brother Mark, and their 82-year-old father. The farm has been in the family since 1906. Tim's first book, This Farming Life, was published in 2020, and his story, Carved was shortlisted for the Commonwealth Short Story Prize in 2021. It's quite an achievement. He also had Under a Big Sky, Facing the Elements on a New Zealand Farm in 2022. So Tim's a poet. He's had poetry and short stories published in Headland, Best Small Fictions, Takahei Landfall, Poetry New Zealand Yearbook and Flash Frontier. He won the 2018 Mine Food Magazine Short Story Competition and placed third in the 2019 and 20 National Flash Fiction Day Awards. He performs poetry around the Manawatu and beyond with a great outfit called the Rouseabouts. We might hear a bit about them later. While it's perhaps unusual for a farmer... To also be an accomplished writer, although it, he may not be an exclusive um, in an exclusive uh, category, it would be interesting to hear about that. Actually, Tim Saunders has found art and farming can coexist harmoniously. It has proven to be a therapeutic way of processing many of the challenges farm life presents. Welcome to the show, Tim. G'day Jeremy, how are you? I'm not too bad mate, for a Monday afternoon, yeah, doing pretty well. <laughs> um, yeah, no, thanks so much for coming. Um, so I, I usually open the show with this question, and uh, you can you can take it any way you want. Who or what turned you on to poetry, um, and you know, when did you start writing, you know, why are you a writer? Um, poetry itself, uh, I was pretty late coming to the party, really. Um, it was oh, only a few years ago, probably four or five mm. years ago, I started writing poetry. Mm. Um, but before that, I was writing short stories, um, making up stories. Uh, when I was small, my grandmother mm. read to me a lot. Mm. And uh, she really instilled a love of books. Uh, and a love of reading, and it was that that uh, really uh, cemented really this um, love of storytelling. Mm. And um, I 
did a lot of um, writing over the years, all through school, all through, um, you know, university and, and everything like that, but uh, never really got published. And uh, poetry wasn't something that really grabbed me to begin with. It was something that uh, was mm, kind of more a, uh, I, I found it very academic, mm-hmm. you know, very hard to get into. And I blame my teachers at school for that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look, that's such a classic thing. Um, people either, either inspired by teachers in terms of poetry or they're not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it was It was actually, um, and I think this is for a lot of people my age, Sam Hunt. Mm. Reading Sam Hunt mm. that got me into poetry and thinking, oh, this is actually something that um, that is an art form that I can understand. It's <clears throat> not something that you have to, it's not like a cryptic, cryptic crossword that mm. you have to sit there and work things out. And it was that basic getting into it that uh, really opened the door for me. And um, I think, yeah, I, I just think uh, from Sam Hunt, I started moving into other poetry mm. and a few other things. So yeah, yeah, that's um, yeah, that's how I got into poetry. Oh well, Sam is as good a starting point as any you could find, really, in in New Zealand Aotearoa terms. Absolutely, um, yeah, disappointing, I suppose, to hear about the teachers, but. Um, well, that was a different era. I think it might be different now. Um, it could be. And I find um, really with um, with poetry in terms of storytelling, I found it was something that I was interested in the form of short stories and, and stories in general. And I found mm, with poetry mm. I could start paring it down and, and mm. just reducing it to its essence really yeah. just what yeah. just just what a story was it didn't have to be a wide long winding story it could just be a feeling mm. or mm. something that was based around that story something some mm. just a beating heart of a story and that's what really got me interested in poetry was it it was it was a reduction of something bigger Okay, and yeah. it was really feeling, yeah. Uh, yeah. It didn't have to be something tangible. It could be uh, just an mm. emotion, or mm. something like that. So that really interested me about mm. poetry. Mm. How how fascinating. Um, yeah, look, we look forward to hearing some of your work, and um, you know, I think you, you know you you're. I suppose in terms of the guests we have on this show, you're you're a little bit unique in that you. You are an accomplished short story writer as well, so we probably should spend a bit of time talking about that. You know, um, what makes a good short story? You know, in, in your opinion, you know, or we'll see how we go. Yeah. But why don't we open with a poem first? Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I've written um, written quite a few poems, just uh, basically around what I see with farming, not exclusively, mm. but just things that I do observe on a day-to-day level. And uh, this one's called Donor. Mm. It's a nice short one. We stand in cattle yards under the macrocarpa wrecked in the wahini storm, wave at a couple of cyclists, potential organ donors, you say, 
and we laugh like plovers while over the ranges the last slice of the moon casts a shadow on your liver. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I love that one. I've had the pleasure of hearing you read that uh, in another location. Um, yeah, there's some humour in there and the, the imagery pull, pulls you in, you know, the macrocarpa. You can immediately see the the grass and the... And it came directly <coughs> from an observation um, mm. from visiting a, a different farm to my own. It was one from um, actually a farm next door to one of the original farms that my family had back in the 1800s and we went back there to buy cattle ah. and we stood in the cattle <coughs> yards under the, the macrocarpa that had been wrecked in the Wahini storm. There was yeah. a road going past with cyclists and um, mm. so it was that real observation that that poem was born out of. Yeah, and the Wahini storm, you mean 1968, yeah. the ferry. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, of course, that, um, you know, that's, uh, you know, Sam Hunt would say, well, absolutely, you've you've done that right, you know, because he's many a time he stood on a road and, you know, there's the truck coming and mm. over the hill and, you know... Yeah, and I think we can find a lot of metaphors and we can find a lot of, of images just and things like that. And the language um, from that poem, I wrote the poem and then I actually realised that the language that I was using was, was quite clever. It was kind of a subconscious <coughs> thing when I wrote it, but then I had mm. things like um, uh, wave at a couple of cyclists. Now, we've just been talking about mm. the Wahini storm and, the, and mm. things like this, and then you've got waves used on two different levels so you know i've I've got language in there yeah. that came to me subconsciously mm, mm. but then i realized oh okay that's what i actually mean so yeah. the poem came before the meaning came to me <laughs> no that's that's lovely what a great um and and you're very uh, you've articulated that very well i think Tim. <laughs> um fantastic i mean that leads directly into you're already touching on it about writing writing a poem um did that one come fairly quickly i mean it wasn't drafted over six months by the sound of it no i find mm. the best poetry that i write the stuff that i'm really happy about mm. is stuff that comes very quickly mm. okay um, but in saying that i do have to work at it and i find with a poem i don't just have a stream of consciousness of just writing I come up with a, an image or a line and then I build on that. Mm. And so it becomes more of a, a creative building exercise for me of what comes next. And I'm thinking about uh, why that particular line would relate to something else mm. Mm. and what language and, and maybe some rhymes or some internal rhymes or some mm. some tricks like that. And that's when the building starts. Yeah. And I start going, slotting things in like a jigsaw. That fits, mm, that mm. rhythm fits, that rhythm doesn't fit, so I've got to okay. fix that. And it becomes one thing after the other mm. down the page. And um, and so to me, it is more of a, a crafting yeah. of a poem rather than just writing and then fixing things, I'm actually thinking of the craft, like, mm, like interesting, yeah, building a wall, and knowing like a stone wall, and knowing this 
stone will fit there. Mm. This bigger stone and the smaller stone, and that's how I write poetry. Is I'm I'm slotting things in that I know will work. And reje- rejecting things sometimes. And rejecting things, and and I'm a magpie too. Everything mm. I write, I keep. Yeah. Um. So I, when I'm on the farm, I have a notebook, mm. and I travel around with a notebook all the time Mm. and I'm writing Mm. anything that comes into my head. It could be a line or an idea or something that I've seen. And then I will take that later or perhaps even at the time. If I'm Mm. out by myself in the quiet Mm. and not concentrating on my work, (laughs) uh, then I can actually um, just kind of put it into my head and I go over it and I'll say it out loud. To me, that's an important thing is saying it out loud. Sure. Um, because then you start getting the rhythms. Mm. And I find that when I'm reading poetry too, if I'm reading it out loud, even just under my breath, but actually going through that of not just reading it in my head, but actually having it out loud, Mm. Mm. um, I can understand the rhythm and the rhyme and the structure of it Mm. a lot better. Mm than just reading it quietly in my head where I might have other thoughts running around. By re- reading it out loud or making something um, up out loud, mm. that's the thing that exists at that moment. I've got mm. all parts of my brain are working on that one thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's how I will write a poem. I will say a line and I'll keep going over it and something inside my head will come up with the next line or what fits, it'll come up with a rhyme or something. And, and, and that's basically yeah. how how these things work for me. Yeah. Oh, that's that's very interesting. Um, well, Lawrence Ferlinghetti once wrote, um, you know, compose on the tongue, not the page. You know, Sam Hunt would say, you know, it, you've got to get it off the page for it to be mm. be alive. And, yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, certainly when you, when, when you hear lines read, yeah, it's, Completely different to reading in silence, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, um, I wonder, since we're talking about your writing process, I think I'll ask you now, What? how has being a farmer impacted your work? Um, I don't, you might take an hour to answer that, or you, maybe it's a one-sentence <laughs> one. I don't know, but um, I imagine um, I imagine it has had an impact, not just in subject matter, but... Um, yeah, I think we're <clears throat> surrounded by stories. Everybody's surrounded by stories. And sometimes these stories aren't things that we see on a conscious level. Um, as a farmer, I find that I'm in tune with the seasons and nature and mm. I can think about things like that. So I can see the story behind anything really, the weather, the systems that I'm dealing Mm. with every day, that perhaps if you're busy doing a job somewhere else, you're not really aware, oh, it's raining or it's sunny Mm. or whatever. But, Mm. you know, I'm thinking more of of why and where these things are coming from, where the river's flowing from, what it's leaving behind. Um, And I find that everything's got this story, like even the stones on the ground have come from a mountain somewhere and brought mm. down the river and, and now mm. they've ended up on the track on a farm. And mm. so I find that as in my job, I am just in tune with these things a little, mm. little bit more. Mm. And um, and that's why I find 
writing poems a little bit more um well it's something that i'm drawn to because it gives me a, a way of explaining these things mm, yeah a relationship with your environment um so yeah turning into turning it into art your relationship with the environment yeah. is becoming your own yeah exactly yeah outlet directly yeah mm. Yeah, I suppose, uh, yeah, because your, your knowledge of the seasons and weather and types of rain and cloud formations it would be completely more complex than mine, I'm sure, as a, as pretty much an urban, urban guy. And I think with animals too, I find the way that animals move and the way they behave is quite poetic, the, mm. way, they, the way they go about things. And, and I can usually use words to describe how they're doing that or maybe go further and not just describe it but to to really try and bring it alive with yeah. language mm. rather than just with um with sight so yeah yeah, yeah. wow let's have another poem or all or right read read something for us tim okay so mm. this one is called uh hills Wherever you farm, you can see the hills from your south-facing window, crammed within parentheses on the horizon. From your feathered sill, you hear magpies and their onomatopoeia, your father's cavernous snores and a sheep coughing under macrocarpas. Breathe fresh mist on the glass and follow the spine of the fish with your finger, a punch-drunk slap-happy line along quake-raised mountains. Notice him watching from the totara post, Kahu and his carcass breath, a silent space between violent words. Hold his blood-preened gaze, wrap your heart in flax, bury it with rocks for warmth. Kneel at your stained-glass window and remember, to understand love, first you must never have known it. Mm. Wow, what a, what a beautiful poem. Um, and... There you go. That illustrates your the talk about the theory and and process. And there's there's a perfect example. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean mm. that that poem there came from the last two lines. Remember to understand love. To remember, remember mm. to understand love. First, you must never have known it. And that was a. I mean, you think about that for a second. Mm. Mm. To understand love, first you must never have known it, but we all know mm. love of some sort, so therefore we can't understand it. We, we shouldn't mm. question it. Mm. And mm. that was that was something that that came to me as a line. I thought, wow, that's that's very poetic. I can make yeah. something out of that. Were you sitting on a tractor at the time? or were um, you? I can't, <laughs> Do you remember? I no. don't remember, <laughs> but um, I tried putting that line mm. um, into <clears throat> many different things. I tried yeah putting it into a story it didn't work mm. um i write flash fiction as well which is yeah. stories uh, less than 300 words 300 words and um i tried putting it in that it didn't work and i tried other poems it didn't work and this is why i mean being a magpie yeah. keeping yeah. these things eventually i had uh, some more of this poem written as something else mm. and then i thought that fits yeah and as soon as that went into place it was complete Yes, yes, and you, you I, I knew. I was just like, wow, that, that's complete. I can't do anything mm. with that now. So, yeah, so that's how that came about. Yeah, yeah, there, there you go, um, listeners, you know, fragments or whatever you want to call them, bits and pieces. Um, they may, you may be staring at it now thinking, oh, that's not a poem. 
but mm, exactly. later on yeah. it could be the yeah. the key line yeah. of something. Yeah. Or you know. Oh, it's it's very important to yeah. always have have these things mm. running around your head or, or or on a piece of paper and and you, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, Just you don't lose the notebook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or yeah. the cell phone if you're <laughs> typing into a cell phone, which which. Um, I'd say every millennial poet now probably operates on a cell phone, pretty much. Um, well, let's just uh, so to explore your your writing. Um, so you've had those two well received books, which are pretty much prose books. Would you describe as pro- poetic yeah. prose? Pro- poetic, poetic prose. prose. Yeah, yeah. Um, pu- published about farming in Aotearoa. Yeah. Um, so can you tell us? Well, tell us a little bit about them for the listeners who, who who haven't come across them yet. So one, the first one was This Farming Life. That's right, yep. And the second one is Under a Big Sky. And That's they've, right. They've got yeah. little sub um, yeah, headings yeah. as well. But. Yeah, so the, um, they were both published by Alan and Unwin. And um, how they came about was I won um, the Mind Food magazine short story competition and um, – one of the judges, it was judged by a panel, mm-hmm. and one of them was Jenny Helen from Allen and Unwin, and she came to me and she said the short story that I'd written mm-hmm. was head and shoulders above anything she'd read for a while, and she said, have you got a book in you? And I said, well, I don't know. <laughs> I can give it a go. Well, what kind of book would you like? Mm. And she said, well, you're a farmer. Um, there's a gap in the market for a well-written mm. farming book. Interesting. Not just a book about facts and figures, but actually about what you feel and what you smell and what you hear and see and, and experience, written in a um, more of a, a creative way. Um, so I gave that a go, and that's how This Farming Life came about. And um, This Farming Life really goes through the seasons it goes uh it, it could be any year um but it is a life a, a year in the life of my farm mm. and um it explores all the characters in my family um and there's quite a few characters in my family mm. Mm. <laughs> and um so that book did very well Mm. And uh, I was given the opportunity to write the second book, which came out last year, mm-hmm. and that was Under a Big Sky. And uh, that book is more about um, facing the elements on mm. the farm. Mm-hmm. So whereas the first book was all about, or it could have been any year, this is tethered to the year of 2020 ah. and what happened during that year. Ah, Okay. But it's also um, exploring the elements and how we affect the elements, how the elements affect us. And mm. I'm, also, I'm looking at that in physical ways, metaphorical mm. ways. Mm. Uh, yeah, so we look at water, air, um, fire and earth and how we react to these things. And so it's more, it's more about... Um, my my father got very sick that year, mm. um, so I'd go into that and how that affected us as a family, and uh, yeah, it's um, 
it's a book that I think you don't have to be a farmer to mm. enjoy. Yeah. I think that's that's important. Both <clears throat> of these books are not books that are just for farmers. They're explaining yeah. and, and describing what we feel and they're more written on a uh, on the basis of humanity of mm, what we okay. are as humans and what we eat and and how th- things affect us um yeah so interesting yeah. Mm. well i mean i think more than ever even if you're living in a city and buying your meat or or not buying your meat vegetables whatever mm. at the supermarket um i think the idea of farming and where the food comes from is far more in our minds than it used to be Mm. For for many reasons, yeah, definitely, you know, yeah. many many reasons. Um, some quite political reasons, some just simple supply and demand reasons. Mm. Um, so it's fantastic. So from what you say, Tim, was it? It sounds to me like your your books they genuinely are quite unique within the New Zealand publishing landscape. Did did you go back to research um, any similar books or farmer type farming life type books? That were published in the past, or not really? I think um, mm. nothing had really been done since *A River Rules My Life* of this kind of book. Um, most books are more about um, strictly a mental health thing, or a, mm. um, or, or or just a certain kind of thing about farming. How but to this, farm? How to farm? Mm. And facts and figures and and things that you know people aren't yeah. necessarily interested in but yeah, okay. I think as as humans and, and we all have to eat yeah. um, I think you know this is where these books are, are quite unique so mm. Mm. yeah um, yeah that's um, I, I, well it's it's terrific do you think uh, there will be a number three about farming if you are you thinking I mean not necessarily next year or something but but um, are there other elements when you were writing those books? Was there any material that you thought yeah, didn't quite fit but um, put it aside? Mm, it's quite interesting because with the first book it came out, I, I wrote it and that was good. I put in what needed to be put in mm. and I had a lot of material left over after editing it Right. and I thought, well, that's going to be my second book. And then I looked at that material and thought, yeah, well, there's a reason I actually cut that out. Okay. So I had to start again. But when you write a book like the second book, it has to be completely different to the first one. Right. It has yeah, to be a different sure. theme. It can't have the same stories. You have mm. to think of different way of looking at things. So these two books are different. Um, the third one would I'd have to find a different way of or a different kind of way of thinking about. Yeah of it of a theme to go with it and um it's very hard to write about your own family Mm. and to give them characters um and to kind of make those characters uh believable if you know what i mean yeah okay you know even though they're real people they have to come alive on the page Mm. which Mm. is hard without making their the person feel, oh, I don't act like that, or I, I don't sound like that. Right. And when yeah. the people you're close to, yeah, you know, you you've got to try and do them credit. So, um, yeah, yeah, it is a it's a difficult thing to do. And um, yeah. so, with the third book, it could come at some stage. Mm. Um, I'm more um, interested in exploring fiction at the mm. moment. Okay. And yeah. Finding 
some sort of novel as a as a long form project farm based um I don't know yet. Not all my short stories are rural. Mm, mm. You know, I was going to ask that. You yeah, know, what, what percentage of your work? Um, it's like not all my poems are rural. Oh yeah, you know, okay. I, I yeah. have I have poems that uh, just if I think it's a good story, mm. then I will I will write about it. And um, and I think uh, I think that's an important thing to do. Is you can't be just pigeonholed into one mm. one area as an artist you want to explore different avenues and yeah. different things and yeah. and i think that's that's something that i that interests me and to yeah. keep my interest because yeah. i need to to do other within writing other art forms within mm. writing so um and, and different yeah. genres and things like that okay so, mm. okay well thanks thanks for that that um those answers and um, those thoughts. Would you like to read us another poem now? Yeah, sure yeah. thing. Okay. Um, so I got one here. Uh, this was included in Best New Zealand Poems last year. Mm. This is called Devoir, and it is one of my rural ones, one of my farming ones. Uh, my great great grandfather built a woolshed out of tall trees and pieces of bird song he found scattered in clearings. Sometimes I still hear a spectral choir in that quiet time after sharing an evening chorus ensnared in axe-hewn walls. My father took over the family farm when he left school. I watched him tonight listen to the old dog howl at the moon trapped in a frozen water bowl. I know how you feel, he said. I still don't know if he was talking to the dog or the moon. Hmm. Mm, lovely, yeah. Was that the edition edited by David Eggleton? No, that was oh. uh, Kate Camp, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's lovely, isn't it? And, I mean, that dovetails already, listeners, I'm sure, you, you can see these poems sort of dovetailing together or the, the beautiful succinctness of language and the and the images images are lovely to absorb, yeah, and and yeah. Um, the humanity aspect exactly, you know? yeah. Um, I mean that's that's <clears throat> basically about um, I, I'm fifth generation farmer and right. I don't feel trapped on the farm, but I, I was never told I had to be a farmer or something like that. But what if ah, I was? Interesting. My, my father <clears throat> felt more that he was obligated. To be on the farm, right? So, but he loves it. Yeah, it's not so he wouldn't want to do anything else. But it was just a feeling that I I wanted to explore was being obligated and wanting to do it, or feeling trapped. And that's that's the theme behind that. Mm. And um, it kind of came out of a um, you know the the whole dog howling at the moon, trapped in the water bowl image. And um, intriguing, and that's where yeah. I got it. And uh, Kate Camp, she said, you know, it was those last lines of "I still don't know if he was talking to the dog or the moon" that really grabbed her. Yeah, yes, yeah. That, it took it. It took it to another, to um, a different place. place didn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the way poems end can can be very important. Yeah, um, they've got to start somewhere <clears> and then yeah. kind of end somewhere else. Mm. It's usually if you look at a poem, it 
changes halfway through or through, uh, you know, at a certain point. Yeah. It will suddenly change direction to what you're not expecting. And I find that are the best ones mm. that l- kind of take you on a little journey. Yeah. To be a bit cliched is to go from one place to another. Yeah. So this starts off, um, you know, with the wool shed, blah, 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 mm. but then ends with this image of being trapped on a farm. Mm. So, mm. yeah. Mm. No, thank you. Um, so we've touched a little bit already on, uh, you know, the poets you admire the most, and Sam Hunt was obviously a key um, figure in your development and, and I suspect enjoyment of poetry throughout your life. Oh, yeah. Um, he's still still working um, into his late 70s. Um, what about other poets, either local or international? Um. <clears throat> Well, I find, um, like, I read a lot of poetry. I have a lot of poetry mm. next to my bed. Okay. Um, because I find at night it's the best time to read poetry mm. when it's quiet and I'm kind of getting into a state of mind that is relaxed and I, I can spend the time to devour a poem line by line rather than just right. being in a hurry and wanting right. to get through it. Okay. And, and that's the thing. But... Um, I, I met Brian Turner mm. um, at the Auckland Writers Festival a few years ago and um, I really got on well with him and I read a lot of his poetry. Um, of course, a lot of his poetry is um, environmental mm. and it's about the environment and about mm. um, the things that he experiences out in the, the open spaces mm. and... Uh, and that really drew me to him, and uh, I got on very well with him. Um, even though I was the farmer, he was the environmentalist, and mm, you know, people mm. might not think you mix very well, but we did. And and I did a um, okay. talk with Gillian yeah. uh, Sullivan, who who's his partner, and we did a presentation at the um, Writers Festival together. Okay, and I think they expected us to have a bit of a. You know, oh, I'm a farmer. I'm a, I'm a this and that, and but we didn't. We we <laughs> did, yeah. we agreed on pretty much everything, and and we got on yeah. famously. So, so yeah, no, Brian Turner's, um, and he's he's, you know, been a big inspiration mm, for me. Mm. Um, recently, I've been reading Billy Collins. Yes. Yep. Which I love to bits. Um, uh, I only discovered him just recently. Okay. Really. And um, yeah, and and he's really, really good. I, I like him. He's he's inspiring. Kind of my my recent poems that mm. I've been writing. I've been mm. I've been thinking about him a lot, and uh, and these almost funny stories that he has buried in his poems that go much deeper. But oh. but they're almost like a they'll be based around a joke or, or something like that mm. and that'll get your attention but then it goes much deeper mm-hmm. into into um so yeah i i'm i'm enjoying that um ah. a lot of poets uh, i'm from the uh, manawatu mm. and uh, there's a lot of poem uh, poets that i know personally right around palmerston north yeah and i get on really well with them and and i find them really inspiring to be mm, around to you know mm. push me to do better work yeah because i read something of theirs and mm. i think wow this is incredible um so people like uh, paula harris mm. um who i think is just amazing mm-hmm. um also 
there's Tim Upperton mm. and uh, one that I know uh, quite well and who I really enjoy is Janet Newman, mm. whose book came out, um, I think, the year before last. Yeah. And she's based from a farming background. Okay. And so a lot of her poems are rural mm. and about cattle and about sheep uh, and okay. and also she's you know looking i think she's got a phd about the environment and poetry interesting and yeah. so yeah she's um she's Gosh, really good I'd like to read that one oh yeah yeah unseasoned yeah. Compa- campaigner is her book and okay. uh, i mm. read that i've mm. read that a lot that book mm. that's a really nice poetry book so i find my local parts are the ones that inspire me most. Well, there you go. And, yeah. I mean, why, why not? Why, yeah. why do you have to be reading um, William Blake or... Exactly, yeah. Or Allen Ginsberg yeah. or... Um, I mean, it's great to, but I mean, yeah. it's I mean, also to get the inspiration exactly. from people who yeah. live live in the, in the yeah. land where yeah. you live. Yeah. And um, probably as time goes on, you, you might start reading <clears throat> Charles Bukowski or somebody, but... As, as you go through your life, you, I think you start to realise, um, and if you go to open mics, mm-hmm. the value and the, the power of the local writers, mm. whether famous or not, you know, well-known or not. Exactly. Mm. I think yeah, just <clears throat> every region will have its own voice, basically. Mm. So mm. in Hawke's Bay, you'll have a different voice to what we have yeah. and, um, <clears throat> and different experiences and, and different geography mm. and that inspires a, a different sound mm. and I think you know it's important to to listen to the other people around your own community yeah yeah well um, poetry you know it, it's a form of journalism in a way or histo- mm. historical record sometimes and I mean, let, well, let's, let's not go down that road. It's incredibly vast, isn't it? Yeah. But it certainly does put you in touch with um, some of the thinking that's happening on the ground locally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, that's great. Um, well, let's have another poem. We're, we're going well with you know, 20, 20 minutes, I think. Yeah, sure yeah. thing. Uh, this one's called uh, Demi Loon. Um, this one was uh, in landfall back in 2020. Ah. Uh, goes like this they said the uncle my father never talked of the one who flew sorties over germany under a sickle moon came home only half a man i imagined him split down the middle like a late windfall apple perhaps hollowed out by wasps or at least limbless numb from the waist down and propelled by a powerful arm he went missing under a moon that wasn't all there they found his clothes fallen, empty, beside the Orua, where the river breaks in two, palm prints in the wet sand. Mm. So again, it's a poem that um, just came out of my local um, experience. Mm. Um, our farm is next to the Orua River, mm-hmm. and um, and it there's a lot of local stories about people that came back from the war yeah. broken. Yeah. And I, that's kind of what this is about. It's about those stories of broken people, and um, and mm. that's where it came from. It's it's like I was saying before. It's about taking a bigger story and and condensing it down to its basics. Mm. Yeah. Well, and that's you know we've got Anzac 
It's a very mm. um, appropriate for this time of year, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah, well, very powerful, Tim. Yeah, very powerful. Um, yeah, you can you do get a sense that you've you've distilled down to the the bare essentials, but bare essentials that are still crammed with um, meaning or yeah. or metaphor. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, one thing I'm noticing is that there's, there, you know, sometimes with a poem there might be, you might think, oh, that's got a highlight or that's that's got a... But your your poems have a number of highlights going through them, I'd, I'd suggest. That's great. They're very powerful. Yeah, my friend yeah. Chris, uh, he says <clears throat> a lot, he's <clears throat> always going on about, oh, you know, a poem will have one hook. He says, your poems have always got lots of little hooks <clears throat> in them to hook you in. Yeah. And that's kind of comes back to the way that I write them as is taking it brick by brick mm. and making everything count. You know, mm. everything mm. in that poem has to fit perfectly mm. and count to make the entire wall, to yeah. make the whole. So so that's, you know, mm. that comes down to that. Yeah, yeah, no, we can see that. Um, so we've talked a little bit, I suppose, about the role that poetry plays in the community, did you have anything to add to that? Um, no, I think um, we came from a background of storytelling and the oral tradition of storytelling, and I think with my poetry, I try and keep that talking out loud thing going, that it has to mm. be a way of sharing out loud, mm. um, not just something that stays on the page or stays in your head. It's something that is organic and grows around people. I mean, we all talk. And mm. I think the way of using poetry to convey things between people and convey the way we feel and things we've seen mm. is something that's always been very important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And then in communities, even in the global community, we're quite lucky here in New Zealand. We've got freedom of speech. We can say mm. whatever we like. Places around the world, of course... They don't have that freedom of speech, but the poets are the ones that can convey a message using things metaphorically, mm. not out loud, so they can hide things from mm. you know from the people that might be listening and trying to censor them. Mm -mm. And that's mm. how things get spread, mm. because you can't just say something out loud, but you can do it secretly through a poem, and and those ideas will then be listened to by the people. Mm. And I think that's where poetry is at its its most important is getting these ideas out. Mm. Yeah, well, that's that's good. It, it is it is a community voice, absolutely. Mm. Um, I suppose yeah, there's different forms of poetry. Some are very um, completely um, non-metaphoric. Should I, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, I suppose it is a form of sophistication. To, to be able to put it inside mm. a metaphor, but actually it's you're nailing something, but mm. but a casual mm. reader might not yeah. notice or, yeah. or think about it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, look, you. So I mentioned before the the, um, the rouseabouts. Um, this is a musical combo live poetry um, show, and you've performed in woolsheds and the like. I think. Would you like to tell us more about 
the Rouseabouts, some of our listeners have probably even seen you um, perform. Um, and if you have any upcoming events, now's yeah. your chance to. <laughs> so the, the Rouseabouts um, came about. Um, uh, Chris Gallivan uh, was a, a poet from the Manawatu, and uh, we got to know each other through poetry readings and open mic nights and things like that. And. Uh, we met up with uh, Paul Turner, who's a musician, and um, we just found that that we could perform poetry and music together. It's a Celtic sort of uh, music mm. that Paul plays. He, mm. he plays the pipes, the fiddle, all sorts of things like that. And uh, we don't always set the uh, poetry to music. Um, mm. It's kind of can be together or separate. And, and we go out and do these shows, um, which are a good mix of comedy and uh, yeah. just good yarns and poetry and music and and a good evening out or an afternoon out where we can just entertain people. And, mm. and it comes from that whole taking poetry back to the people uh, right. okay. rather than just being an academic thing that mm, people, mm. you know, like me at school, didn't really understand. This is bringing it back and, mm. and make, you know, letting people understand that this is a way that, you can convey things and it can be fun and you can tell stories through it. Mm. Um, so we've um, played gigs all over the place. Um, it's it's just something we do uh, whenever somebody wants us to perform at a woolshed or in a, at an event, a writer's festival, anything like that. Mm. Um, we, uh, we get together every so often and just have a really good time. Um, we did a tour of the Catlins um, mm. about a year ago, or just over a year ago. Went to a few pubs, went um, down to uh, Kaka Point, actually, mm. um, Hone Tuferi's okay. yep. um, place where he lived. And uh, Chris and I actually went um, out to his little shack. Yeah, They were doing it up at the time. I think they've got uh, retreats and things you can do there now. Mm. But when we went there was just up through a little cutting in the in you know the sand hill there mm. and it was just a tiny little hut mm. tiny little places couldn't believe how small it was but yeah. to us it was almost a spiritual thing we, yeah we went and, Would have been, and yeah. looked out and uh, um, so that was pretty special for us then mm. we played at the pub that mm. night and met quite a few people that knew mm. Hone and uh, and Got talking to them and heard a few stories about him and, and yeah. things like that. So, oh, that's terrific. You know, we we yeah we tend to you know uh, I do all my own original things with the Rouseabouts, my original poems. Mm-hmm. Okay, Chris will do. Um, he's got an incredible memory. He's mm. just committed thousands of poems to memory mm. Um, mm. of of other people, some New Zealand poets, international poets, and he can just spout forth mm. poetry yeah like, i've i've seen him in yeah, action yeah and it's just yeah. incredible and uh he's got the gift of the gab so um, yes. he can just keep he, he can entertain mm. Mm. and um and it's a it's yeah it's a lot of fun yeah mm. yeah uh no that's terrific yeah well that that batch on kaka point um yeah do you do not disturb um honey when he's writing 
mm. at your peril, I think, if you n- knock on the door and say, how about a cuppa? <laughs> famous, famous for that. Um, no, that's great that you've been there. I, I, I met his son, uh, Rob, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Once, and he said, oh, come on down to the to the place one day would be would be terrific mm. um okay well um and the rouseabouts any any gigs coming up soon uh no not not soon <clears throat> not that i know of but mm. um sort of whenever whenever anybody yeah. asks us we yeah, just okay. we're there <laughs> well there you go listeners <laughs> yeah. um just ask us just ask <laughs> um let's have another poem i think we're we're about oh yeah eight eight minutes officially to go so well, I'll give you the poem actually that came out of that trip to the Catlins. Oh, great! This is called uh, Apparitions, and it's um, it really came out of that trip to Hone Tuferi's little house there. <clears throat> Ooh, wee! Look at that sea, boy! You wouldn't catch me out there swimming like the tiny fishes, five figures with wetsuits and pied stilt legs, five figures bobbing south of her swollen river mouth. No, make that four. She's a bitch for games when shit-faced, this salt-sprayed coast, with her woven seaweed and driftwood spume. I spy with my spindrift eye a tafai floating down the flooded clutha, roots and all, as a couple of sooty titi sheer water from oily wings, turning to face the wind and cleave the heavy sea. I'm sure it was five crazy swimmers a minute ago, or four. I can taste the salt mist like lines on my chin, boy, as wind batters the feathered paint of shacks in this fish-and-chip town. Black and white clouds wrap old news in the caligonous sky. Shapes gather in the cutting of my driveway, veiled and furious, under the umbrage of trees, Atua, Tupuna, ghosts, it doesn't really matter. What matters most is the safety of swimmers and the moon-scalloped grin in the dusk. I think I'll go inside now, far off the coast, four chunks of driftwood, bob and writhe. Four chunks of driftwood, or is it five? Mm. Oh, lovely. Gosh, what a lovely... um Oh, I hate to say souvenir, but no, a, a connection to that place for you. That's mm. that's that's wonderful. Um, did you have you have you read that one with the rouseabouts? Yes, yeah, with musical accompaniment. Uh, not with the music no. behind it. No, mm. no. But um, yeah, no, that's a favourite one that came out of that trip, and mm. and it was just a magical place with the mist and the wind and 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 the sea salt, the spray coming up over the over yeah. the road and everything, and then. Later that night or that evening, it settled down and we had a full moon come up over the water, mm. reflected in the sea, and it was just, just magical. Yeah. Oh, it sounds it, mm. yeah. Um, so I think I know what you're going to say to this. Kiwi poet Elizabeth Smither, who, who was a, a poet laureate, um, I suppose once you are one, you're one forever, um, described poetry simply as a way of being alive. Do you agree with that? I think it is a way of of being alive. It's mm. it's just a way of of living and of of conveying yourself artistically and mm. um, with writing uh, in general. It is just something that comes naturally. 
It's something that mm. personally I need to do. Right. If I'm not writing, then I can be a bit prickly. Okay. Because yeah, I'm holding things in. It's just mm. with with an art like this, it's just something that really grabs you, and you need to need to do. And it doesn't need to be like I'm writing every day. I'm, my writing is I get up about a first five or six o'clock mm. and write through to nine before I go out on the farm. Oh, interesting. And okay. a lot of that writing is never, it doesn't see the light of day, but I'm writing. Yeah, okay, yeah. And that might be poems that I just want to construct or it might be short stories or a book or whatever, but I need to be getting something down ah, okay. every day or six six days a week I do that. Mm, mm. And... Um, and it's just something that I need to do. So yeah, yeah it, it yeah. is a way of living. Yeah, oh, I can I can relate to that. I, you know, sometimes say why? Oh, why am I? Why why was I writing? Did I need to do that yesterday? Well, yes, I did. I just yeah. needed to, you know, whether yeah. it's editing some yep. stuff from the stack or, uh, you know, yeah. um, no. Look, that's um, it's been wonderful to have you here today. Um, and I think it's best to go out with a poem, Tim. What, yes. do you, what do you reckon? Is there anything yeah. you'd like to add or just... No, I can... Yeah. I'll, I'll give you one last poem, um, <clears throat> which came to me... Oh, I don't even know how. This is just one of the ones that just arrived one day. Mm. It's called How to Talk to Death if You Meet Him at a Party. Ah. Listen attentively, laugh occasionally, show interest, ask questions... Be loquacious, be gracious, be inquisitive, be cautious. Pause for thought, remain sober, remember manners, be exact. Make jokes, talk small, be serious, breathe deep, make eye contact, relax fully. If he likes you, you'll just know. Smile often, but not psycho, let go, be tolerant. Dance if he wants, but not slow. Beware his sly hands on your ass, And if he asks you home, tell him firmly, No, you're seeing someone else. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's lovely, isn't it? Um, so, did pardon me, did you mention the word death in the poem? No. No, you didn't, did you? No. no. So if it was a different title, yeah. the poem would read... Rather differently, wouldn't exactly. it? Exactly. Advice for, yeah. for drunk parties yeah, or exactly. something like yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah. That, that's that's very clever. Yeah. It's given it that, <laughs> that twist. Yeah. Uh, I like that. Um, yeah, parties. I don't seem to get there much these days. What about yourself? You, <laughs> no. My, my idea of a good night, <laughs> good night is staying at home and <laughs> writing something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's clever. That's that's um, a device that's, I suppose, not not used terribly often is it i don't know maybe maybe it is but it's but it's quite it's quite funny yeah um well once again look it's been terrific um to see you what's that the name of that poetry collection that you're reading this is just one that i've just made up myself so it's just um it's just a some poems that i printed out and it's in a handy little book form so that i can read it at, at readings and things like that but now as you can see i've got lots of bits of paper everywhere because i've got lots of new poems so, ah, so there must be a poetry collection coming at well, some stage. I, I hope there will yeah. be at some stage. People yeah. keep saying that I should. So yeah. I've yeah. got to find somebody that uh, 
you know, we'll mm. publish it. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, good, good luck with that. So um, thank you very much, uh, Tim Saunders, and listeners, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again soon. Thank you.